You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. How many knew that I could spin a basketball like that? Did you know that? Yeah, I, I used to be really, really good. I could spin a baseball like that. But that was because I was grounded a lot in, when I was a kid, and so there was only a few things to do. You know, when you're grounded, you just find a, some sort of ball, and you play with it, and that's what I did, and that's how I got so talented at it. And that's my claim to fame. Sorry, folks. That's all I got, man. That's the most talent I can bring you today is that I can do that. It's good to see you today. It really is good to see all of you and those that are watching on uh, Facebook Live. We're glad that you're with us today. We just want to continue what God is really working in our lives, what He's doing. What I want to talk to today, talk to you about today, is really um, our influence, uh, and that we really have an influence. Oftentimes we don't think about this, but we, we really need to think about influence we have in the community that we're part of. So I want you to do this with me. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're in this series this morning titled, Genuinely Living for Jesus, The Journey of Loving Others. It's a study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And the book of 1 Thessalonians is the very first book that Paul authored. We talked about that last week. And this is an amazing book because it's written somewhere between A.D. 50 and A.D. 52. And Paul built this church, started this church with just a handful of people. And scholars tell us this. Scholars say that Paul the Apostle was in Thessalonica for a very short period of time. Scholars say between three weeks and three months. We really don't know, but we do know it was a very short period of time. And for him to do this in in, in that amount of time is just incredible. Because what happens is this thriving church gets planted. Because this is an amazing letter written to an amazing group of people. This church gets what it means to live for Jesus and love others along the way. They really understand it. Um, And I know for me, I want to try to get things right, but so often I get things wrong. Did you know that? I mean, that's sometimes the way it just works, is I'm really trying to do things right, get it right, but how many know how difficult it is to get things right? Uh, Oftentimes we find ourselves just kind of stumbling around. So I don't know if this pertains to you or not, but how many of you got school right? I mean, just perfect. Some of you did, some of you didn't. How many didn't get it right? Raise your hand. There you go. There you go. Those are, my, those are my homies right there. These are the folks that I hang out with. I mean, they really... I, I had a lot of friends. I, did, I had a lot of friends that graduated cum laude laude. You know, they did. I graduated, thank you, lordy, lordy. That's how I graduated. I mean, my parents were praying. Everybody's praying. Everybody said, please, God, just, just let him get through this. And mainly, I think, because they wanted me out of the house, you know, and they didn't want me around anymore. So I'm so glad. And then, you know, I meet a smart girl, and she helps me the rest of the way through school. So I'm so glad that I got through. How many are getting parenting right right now? How many are doing that? How many are getting it right? How many are making a lot of mistakes parenting? I'm so glad I go to an honest church. You know, because if, if we didn't, I'd have to be preaching on lying right now. That's what I'd have to do. I'd have to talk to you about that. Parenting is hard. The only people that I know get parenting right and are perfect at it are people who don't have kids yet. Those are the people that, you know, they just come to you and say, can I just give you a little advice? And I'm looking at them and I'm going, where are your scars? I mean, you know, where are your wounds? Where are your kids? You know, have you done this? Um, And, you know, I I remember talking to some folks before they had kids. They were just perfect. After they had kids, I saw this daze in their eye like, oh, Lord Jesus, what did we do? You know, 
And sometimes that's the way you feel when you're parenting. How many have gotten marriage just perfect? I mean, uh, nobody's lifting you. How many, how many have made mistakes in marriage? You know, there you go. Golly, I love you guys. I can hang with you. This is what the church of Thessalonica was all about. They were really honest about all this stuff. Thank you for being so honest. It is. It's so, I mean, getting marriage right. Uh, I mean, and I've said this so many times, but just um, in one month, almost one month, Annette will, and I will be celebrating our uh, 40th wedding anniversary. And so, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and here's the gig, man. I'm still trying to f- figure this out, you know. Someone asked me the other day, it wasn't too long ago, have you got this all figured out? And I said, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, in marriage, let me tell you something, you don't even get out of the rookie phase until like you've been married 25 or 30 years. And then, then you start to, you know, hey, you can walk around with a little bit of a strut. Not much, because it can change. Things can change really fast. Marriage is about getting to know each other, loving each other. And it's a lot of work. How many have gotten your finances right? Perfect. Have you gotten your finances right? Nope. How many have not gotten your finances right? There you go. I mean, it's just a lot of work. They're just things we keep working at. We're, we're, we're just, we keep moving forward. I hope is what we're doing is we keep moving forward. You see, our life is filled with opportunities to get it wrong. <laughs> There's so many opportunities to get it wrong. So here's the question. How can we actually get it right? And when we look at the church of Thessalonica, we find out a few things about Paul's relationship with them and their relationship with Paul, their relationship with others. And I know they, that, they, that they stumbled. I know that there were mistakes made. But boy, when you look at this church, you think these folks got it right. When you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, what we see is the Apostle Paul talking to us and showing us how this church got things right. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the church of Thessalonica having the right heart. Uh, this week, I want to talk about how they had the right kind of the right process. They, they knew how to go about relationship, and Paul commends them on their relationship with each other. So it, it serves us to pay note to how this all happened. Now, this passage is about how we can influence others in a right way. And this is what Paul does. He combines, get this now, he combines humility with hard work. Isn't that amazing? It still, it still works today. I mean, it's still a wonderful formula for us today. He combines humility with hard work. Uh, and you read chapter 2, and uh, I just get, I, I'm just so encouraged by it. Because there was hard work and humility that came together that made this church function well. By the way, the very, very first message I preached here was out of this chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this was 30 years ago. And we talked about this very thing and how it was a great and still is a great model for us to live by. This is what Paul's up to. He's saying, listen, if there's humility and hard work, then the fruit of all this is healthy people and healthy churches. Humility and hard work produces something that really lasts. It can become your legacy. Now, how many know that everyone in this room has an influence? Do you all know you have influence? Regard it. You all have influence. Uh, It's just being aware of that and then actually knowing how to use that, how to function with that influence. Your influence affects others. And I want to say this again. You have influence. I want to say it one more time. You have influence. And it's good for us to know that, understand that. Listen to how uh, Paul influences and leads others in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's pick it up at verse 5. Listen, listen to what it says here. We're going to break this down just a little bit this morning. Uh, verse 5 begins like this. 
you know that when we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. What he's saying there is, wow, we came to you with such open hearts. We were not pretentious. We didn't come to you with any false motives. Uh, What you see is what you get. I mean, this is who we are. And we came, and we were not greedy. And God is our witness. God will test us. God will try us on this. We were looking not for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Now, you know how Paul's coming at this church right now? He's saying, you know, we have the, um, the guns here. We have the badge. We have the authority uh, to say some things and demand some things and get you to jump when we speak. He's saying that we didn't come to you that way. That's not the way we came to you. We came to you with an open heart. We came to you leaning into relationship with you. Now, many of us, we've been maybe in situations or around people who the first thing, the first thing they talk about is kind of their position or their authority. Have you, you know, been there? Listen, if you, if you got to talk about it, you don't got it, all right? If that's the first thing you got to say, you don't got it. And I'm just to say that. I mean, I had someone come to me a long time ago, and they, they walked up to me. They proudly announced that they were leaders, that they, this person came to me and said, I'm a leader. I want you to know I'm a leader. I'm right here standing in front of you. And I thought to myself, wow, I've really got to figure this out. What I did, and I don't recommend this all the time. It was appropriate then. When he walked up to me, I just started looking over his shoulders like this. Kind of not looking at him, but looking at who was behind him. And I asked him the question, who's following you? And he said, well, nobody. I said, then you're not a leader. It doesn't matter. You can say you're a leader all you want, but you're not influencing anybody if no one's following you. And, and the Apostle Paul knew that when he went in to this church that there were going to be followers that he had, but he was going to find a godly way to influence them, and it wasn't going to be with his, uh, his authority. He was going to influence them through relationship. And he goes on and he says that. Now, when we read a little further, what I want you to notice is how many terms the Apostle Paul uses that describes family. This is really interesting to me. He uses words. So he says, I didn't come with my apostolic authority. What I did come is I came in relationship with you. And then he says this. He says, instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. In that verse, he flips the metaphor a little bit. He says, we came as young children but we also were like nursing mothers with you. He, he's using the metaphor, showing and getting across to these people the impression that this is what we're about. We're about family. We're, you know, we're really, that's what we're about. So we cared for you. Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So we're not just talking theory to you. We're not just talking doctrine to you. We're not just talking these kinds of, we are sharing our own lives and how the gospel affects us and changes us. Listen, that's transformation right there. That's power right there. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. How did the Apostle Paul do this? He was a tent maker. And what would happen is, and back then, the Jewish boys would be raised under two disciplines. They would be raised under the discipline of understanding Jewish law. And if they were uh, uh, acclimated to that, if that's what they, they were proficient at, they continued to raise in that area, rise up in that area. But they also were taught a trade. 
the Jewish law back then, and the fathers would say this, if you don't teach your son a trade, you teach him how to be a thief. So they were real serious about what it meant in this family dynamic to make sure that their, their sons grew up understanding the law and understanding what it is to have a trade. How many know that's such a good thing? How many know that it's good to, to, to work hard? I mean, I mean, you might be doing something else, but somewhere along the line, you've got to bust it out somewhere. I had a father like that. My dad was a school teacher. My dad made his living in a classroom. I mean, there, there he is. He was the weirdest guy I knew because it was my dad who made a living in the classroom that he had calluses on his hands. Teachers typically do not have calluses. It's just not what happens with the job. Teachers are great, but they usually don't have calluses. He got calluses because of his second job. His second job was that he, uh, he did flat work. Can you imagine? I mean, the opposite. This is the opposite of a classroom. Going out and knocking it around out in the dirt and the cement. And it's tough work. It is tough work. Someone asked me the other day, well, when did you first start doing that with your dad? I said I was probably six or seven years old. My dad brought me out on a job to do some flat work. Handed me a two-pound, two-and-a-half-pound sledgehammer. And he just told me to start beating this piece of cement that needed to go away in about an hour. And I remember just beating on that cement going, why am I doing this? I mean, you know. This is hard work. I'd rather teach. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather be in a classroom. But you know what he was doing? He was saying, listen, this is, this is noble. And, 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 and that, that he, he understood the definition of discipline. Can I give you a definition of discipline? Here it is. Discipline is this. It's remembering what you want and remembering what you don't want. Can you, can you keep that much? Real simple. And uh, the more I grew up, the more I got into flat work, I thought, I like this. It makes a lot of money, but this is not what I want. And I have some sons that grew up and my brothers that grew up that went into the construction industry, into the flat work, because that's what they wanted. There were some that didn't, but we had a choice to make. We leaned into what we were being taught. And it was being taught in family. And there was hard work that was going on here. Hard work taking place here. It says, you are our witnesses, and so is God. This is verse 10. Of how holy, righteous, blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. See how he's talking here. As a father with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually... This is verse 13, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, not as a word that uh, just has some wisdom to it, has some practicality to it, but you accepted it more than that. You actually accepted it that it was the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe, the power of God's word. And I think that's important for us to note here. Uh, oftentimes, and I've said this before, we read the Word of God and we think, wow, this is a nice tidbit of wisdom. It's deeper. It's greater than that. The Word of God is alive. It's infallible. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is moving. It is active. It is discerning our thoughts as we go through God's Word. It's teaching us what's good and what's bad. It's teaching us what's righteous and unrighteous. That's the Word of God. And we have to embrace the Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it makes a difference in our life. That the Word of God makes a difference. So, what's going on here? What's happening? Why should we practice these verses? I mean, why do these verses mean so much to us? Well, here it is. I want you to hear this. And I'll explain it. I want to say this. Your quality of life is directly related to your influence. 
Your quality of life is directly related to your influence. How you influence people determines the quality of your relationships. If you have a negative influence on people in relationship, guess what? Quality of relationships poor. If you have a positive influence on people around you, quality of relationship is good. Does that make sense to you? So I think there's something we need to catch. And in fact, that's what the Apostle Paul's saying. The Apostle Paul's saying, hey, I've come in and I've influenced you in a godly way. I've influenced you in a positive way. And because that has happened in Jesus, we have this great relationship with each other. And he's showing us the dynamic of this relationship. Remember that. Hey, just think about the people that you maybe worked for in the past. And it was a horrible experience because they influenced you in a very negative way. Was that relationship good? No. That's a tough relationship. I mean, uh, that, that, that is hard to get to overcome when you're being put down all the time in a negative relationship. Is that true? So that's the, that, that actually is setting the tone for how that relationship works. How come we can love Jesus the way we love him? It's because he came, he lived a life without sin. He didn't put any barriers in the way for you and I. He gave us this salvation in Jesus Christ and it influences us. It should every day influence what we say, what we do, how we live because it was done well. It was done perfectly. It's amazing. All of us are are called to influence others for Jesus. And and Jesus refers to that on several occasions. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching. That's the great Sermon on the Mountain. And he refers to two properties Uh, Two entities. He refers to salt and he refers to light. And when he refers to both of those, what he's talking about is influence. He's saying, well, how can the salt do what it's it's supposed to do when it loses its saltiness? He's saying, you have impact. You have influence. Wherever you go, there's this influence of preserving. That's what it is. There's this influence of touching and changing others' lives because of the influence you have. You're like salt, he says. Then he also says something else. He says, you're like light. Now, how can a light have influence? That's what he says. How can a light have influence if you put it under a bushel or you cover it up? It can't. It can't. There's something I said earlier in the beginning of the service. and I want to reiterate this. I really want you to hear this. In John chapter 10, I talked about Jesus is portrayed there. He's there as the great shepherd. And he's standing at the head of the sheepfold, where there's one way in and one way out, and he's there, and whatever trouble comes has to go through him. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I mean, he's there, he's standing there. It's not me, it's not someone else, it's him. And, and this is what he said. He says, I'm here because there is an enemy that circles around this pen, and that enemy is come to rob, steal, and destroy. I was thinking about that this week. I was praying and thinking about that passage of Scripture and I thought to myself, what is it the enemy really wants to rob, steal, and destroy from you? And I realized what he wants to rob, steal, and destroy from you and me is our light and our salt. He wants to mute your testimony, your story. Because at, at the end of this game, it says we will overcome by what? The, word of the, the blood of the Lamb and what? The word of your testimony. He's wanting to mute your influence. That's why this is so important. He's come to rob, steal, and destroy. To keep you in fear, to keep you in anxiety, to keep you at a place that you won't, you, you're not going to step out. 
You're not going to let that light shine. You're not going to let that salt do what salt does. You're not going to influence the way that you have been designed to influence in the DNA of Jesus Christ. We've been called to influence. So what are we being called to do right now is to step out and influence. Wherever it's dark, it needs light. And you're the light of the world, Jesus says. We bring that light. You know, I want to go to the different places even in our community and those that serve our community and say, I want you to know we pray for you. I did that Friday. I told you that. I went there, went to our firefighters and said, hey, I'm looking you guys in the eyes. I want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. We have people in our community right now that are just so uh, uh, coming together and putting out encouraging signs that say, hey, don't give up. You're worth loving. It's to our kids. I don't know if you've seen those. That started in here. There's some group, a group in this place, this church, that have they've got out, out of their own money and they spent a lot of money to put out those signs. What we're saying is we're going to send a message. The message is that you're cared for and Jesus values you and we love you and we want you to know that. We're looking for ways and we must be looking for ways to influence those around us. So we're called to influence. So can I do this with you just for a moment? I'm going to take a little time. Here are five ways we influence others. Let me give you five ways that you influence others. And, uh, and, and let me tell you, it's fluid. It's something that happens in a, it's in a fluid way. But I'm going to categorize these for you so you can kind of identify them. Um, I teach this in one of my classes. I want to tell you what it is. There are five ways that you influence others. Number one, and these aren't in particular order. Number one is you influence others educationally, that you, that, that you might have an education. You might have uh, a, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a doctor's degree, and you're able to influence others in that. A prime example of that is Canby Bible College. When you look at Canby Bible College, it's an educational in, uh, institute, and so we have people there that have worked hard at getting their education, and what are they doing? They're influencing others with the education they've been given. It's a beautiful thing. Whatever tools you've been given. School teachers do that for us. I thank the Lord for that. So there's an educational influence. Here's another one, an experiential influence. That means just based on your experience that what you've done, maybe you've mastered something, a skill, an art of some sort, and you have a lot of experience in that, you can influence others in that area. You know, if I'm going to go out, listen, if I'm going to take a three-month trip out in the wilderness... I don't want people who are less experienced than me going. I want people who are more experienced than me going. Would you say amen to that? Sure. I'm, those are going to people I'm going to follow. You did what? You killed a bear? Yeah, I killed a bear. You killed a lion? Yeah, I killed a lion too. I said, I'm following you. I mean, that's what David said. I mean, he went back and he pulled off, you know, in this, the battle of Goliath, the David and Goliath, and he looks at Saul and he says, I killed a lion. I, whoa, 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 whoa. You got a good resume. You got some experience. You're a little guy, but we, if you can do that, go for it. You know, those are the people that I want. I want to hang out with people who have some level of experience. I want to learn from them. They can influence me. Another way is relational influence. There's a relational influence. How does that happen? It happens by relationship. Uh, the best, I think the best example I can give you uh, is Annette and I are in a relationship, husband and wife. And there's not, it doesn't come through, well, there is experience, there's other things, but it's primarily built on relationship. She speaks into my life, I speak into her life, there's weight there, why? Because we're in relationship. So people have a, a influence in my life because there's relationship there. Uh, it, it's, it's a, it's, it's, again, it's a wonderful thing. That's what Paul's talking about here. When Paul says, I'm not coming to you with authority, I'm coming to you in relationship, and that's how we're going to make a difference in the world that we're in. 
That's how we do it. So relationship is a way that we influence others. There is a positional influence, and that's real. It's true. Because, listen, if you didn't give certain positions to certain people, we would be living in chaos today. That's why a sheriff wears a badge. His position is what? A sheriff. And I'm so thankful for them. Because chaos can break out. How do they influence? Primarily through their position. They have been given authority to hold down the fort for us. And I'm glad they're holding down the fort. Positional influence. And the last one here is what Jesus was known for. And that's spiritual influence. Spiritual influence. That, that is really what Jesus was seen as. Remember, uh, people would say, who is this from Nazareth? That wasn't a compliment. What they were saying is, who is this hillbilly coming from a place from nowhere that is not recognized by anybody? I mean, he's coming here, he's coming to Jerusalem, and he's speaking to us attorneys and us lawyers and us religious people. Who is this guy? And then they said this, who is this can even speak to the elements? And they calm. They subside. Who is this that casts out demons? Who is this that does what he does? Folks, that's spiritual authority. And where did he get it from? He said this. He said, I don't do anything that my father doesn't tell me to do. So obedience came from what his father said. He he stayed with the will of his father. That's where spiritual authority comes. Spiritual authority comes by obeying the Holy Spirit who's speaking to us through his word and in relationship. That's spiritual authority. And that's what the disciples were known. Remember people around him said, who is this that turns the world upside down? You remember that? That's not, again, that's a cultural comment. They're saying, who is this that turns, who's this that's messing us up? Really, the right way to say it is, who is this that's turning the world right side up? Because that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to turn you right side up. He came to redeem you and save you and bring salvation to you. It's amazing. So how can we influence others in a way that leads them to Jesus? I want to talk about just real quickly four things here. You can write these down. How do we do this? Number one, Paul influenced with meekness, not manipulation. Meekness and not manipulation. He says that. We're, we're not looking for praise from people, from you or anyone else, even though as apostles we could assert our authority. Instead, we are like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. What we're doing is we are influencing you out of meekness. When Paul walked in, when he came into that place, he said, I'm not here to manipulate. I'm not here to put on a mask. I'm not here to do any of that. I'm here to be meek among you. It's not manipulation that changes people's lives. It's meekness and humility that makes an impact. We need to get that down somehow. I'm still trying to figure all that out. Because the, the tendency is we want to impress with our accomplishments and we would like to leverage or manipulate um, that happens, doesn't it? You see it all around us. Um, I mean, I've, I've felt those kinds of things before, um, to go in and maybe purchase something, and the, standing in front of a salesperson, and all of a sudden you, you, know, all of a sudden you start getting like, I'm, I, wait a minute, I think I'm getting manipulated here a bit. Have you, have you ever had that happen? Um, this, liter- this really happened. This happened to me. Um, um, someone, I, and I don't know how they found this out, but I went in to buy something, and it was a big big purchase item, and uh, they found out that I was a pastor. And I don't know how that all happened, but they did. And so when I went in and sat down with the salesperson, this person actually had a Bible 
uh, and I know the dude didn't have a Bible. I mean, excuse me, I was not a, but I'm thinking, oh, oh. And I thought he's using the Bible as a sales tool. So I just started talking to him about the Bible, talking to him about his experience in life and church. Zippo, none. He didn't, I mean, show me Matthew. I don't know where it's at. You know, I'm thinking, okay, this is a prop. Paul didn't come to these people in Thessalonica with props to get them to go a particular way or do a certain thing. He came with this great meekness. How will people know you are on their side? How will they know you're on their side? It won't be by manipulation. It's not going to be by your ego. It's in meekness that people will know that you are on their side. Paul constantly said that he was the least. Remember, if you read through the writings of Paul, he says, I am the least among you, or I'm the greatest sinner. I mean, either way you look at it, he's not propping himself up. He says, I am weak. I am a slave. I'm a bond slave. Uh, You know, these are not phrases or words that curry kind of people's attention back then, especially because you made your way through manipulation. You made your way through slamming through people's lives. Paul says, that's not why I came. Philippians chapter 2 is a great example of that. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, and that attitude is to serve. That attitude is to make yourself nothing. That's what he says. Wow. Meekness creates loyalty. I want you to know that you're looking for ways for loyalty to happen. Meekness creates loyalty where relationships can thrive. One of the signs of meekness that I see and notice in people, people who are genuinely meek actually listen more than they talk. Isn't that interesting? It's they listen. Um, They're not just throwing out their opinion all the time. And I want to, you know, I'll tell you how you can catch people off guard sometimes is when you're in a conversation, you know, with Uncle John who comes over for Thanksgiving or something, everybody, you might have some people like that in your life that have all kinds of opinions about everything. Ask them this question one time. Just ask them. Just ask them what they think. And it gets it away from some opinions. What do you really think? Talk to me about what you think. Wow, you want to surprise folks? Ask them that question. And just listen to to what people actually think. I think that's how meekness functions. It functions by listening more than being quick to give opinions. Here's another one. Number two. Paul inspired them with authenticity and not authority. We already saw that, you know, in verse 8. He says, so we cared for you because you, we, we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul inspired others by sharing his life with them. And then, isn't that inspiring? I mean, when you're around people, maybe you're one of those people that just, you're just living life for Jesus, and it's, and it's an inspiration. And there's something about being inspired by others to grow in Jesus. There's something that, that it, it, it's, it's, it's greater and bigger than demanding. Um, you know, there's certain things, like Paul said, I can demand certain things, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live my life in a way that inspires you to follow Jesus Christ. Wow. I, I want to find people like, <clears throat> like that. I want to I follow people like that. Paul inspired others by sharing his life. Paul's life was an open book for others to read. And even though Paul had this amazing authority, he led out of his love. Um, And again, I'm going to say this. Authenticity is not talking a lot, nor is it about being overly emotional. I think authenticity, there's something about authentic people that have this real balance in Jesus. They they just have a real balance in, in Jesus. Authenticity 
is this, this is what it really is to me. If I was going to label it any way, I'd say this. Authenticity is taking the risk of vulnerability. That is a tough thing sometimes. Authenticity is just being vulnerable with, with all of you. The good, the bad, the ugly, the weak, the strong. Um, you know, I'm so thankful for people like this in my life, you know. And I would have to say, you know, one of these people that I see is just lives an authentic life, um, I'm going to say, is my oldest son. I mean, he, he has this ability to laugh at himself. He has this ability to embrace life. He has this ability to be real with who he is and who he isn't. Um, you know, he's taught me a lot about authenticity and the vulnerability that comes with that. Vulnerability, listen, this is what it is. Vul- vulnerability is, um, is managing un- uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. That's what Brene Brown says, who's one of the best in, in vulnerability. Authenticity is taking the risk of vulnerability. That's really what it is. Um, vulnerability is, is taking the first step even though it's risky. That's another way to put it. Um, vulnerability is actually taking the first step when, <laughs> when it's, it's kind of risky. Have you ever been in a place like that? I, it's like I would rather go slip in the back of the room and not be noticed. And I, you know, I know there's different personalities at work there and different ways we approach things. But I'm going to tell you, uh, vulnerability is taking that first step and saying, you know, I, I just, th- this is what I want to just share with you. And it might be a very difficult thing. Vulnerability is the security of knowing Jesus. In this passage, that's why Paul could come to them because he was so secure in Jesus Christ. He says, this is who I am. I don't need to be um, to please you. <laughs> he did it, but he said, I don't need to do that. I don't need to come with my authority. I am secure in knowing Jesus Christ. And here it is. He's secure in knowing Jesus loved him so much that he could love others so much. Because when you know how much you're loved by Jesus, you'll love others the same. There's an exchange there. And this is what the Apostle Paul comes to us like. He comes to us that way. Number three, Paul set the culture with hard work, not hard line ex- expectations. So that's in verse 9. I like what it says. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. That toil means really, really hard work. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. He's not speaking right there the hard work of the gospel. He's speaking there of just of hard work. And that opened the door for the gospel to be preached. And how did he do that? I said that earlier. He did it by tent making. Paul lived out or demonstrated Jesus before he talked about him. I think that's what Paul did. I think he went into this community, started working hard, gets a name for himself, and he starts to share the gospel. He wasn't afraid to do that. Paul was known for a guy who worked hard. He didn't have to do that. And I'll tell you what, I've, I tell you, I've seen some of the places with my own eyes where he established churches, and I'm thinking, my goodness, just to get here to start a church was a whole lot of work. I mean, the, the, the things he had to do to go to the places that God called him to. He had to, he had to, he had to, walk, he had to walk ways that he had to deal with robbers, highwaymen. He had to deal with... T- tough terrain. He had to deal with the elements. He did this out of hard work. He had an ethic of hard work. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do this because I know the fruit of this is going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he didn't come to them with this list of expectations. That's what religion will do. 
Religion will say, before it even knows you, will say, these are the expectations we have on you. They all might be good, but they're, they're coming way before. <laughs> they're, 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 not, they're not being lived out in the life that you're watching. And that's, that's what Paul says. He said, I came and demonstrated the love of Jesus Christ before we did anything else. And when I did, it was not only the gospel I was giving you, it was my own life. Do you see the partnership? The power of the gospel worked with real life. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And so here's a question. Is your list of expectations for others the same list you live by? It's always a good one. I don't know. And you don't have to relay it. I'm not asking you to lift your hand or anything because uh, you might not want to. Um, I, I think that's fair. I think to ask, well, do I have all these lists that I have expectations I want others to fill? But I actually don't do them myself. You might have lists for everyone else, but when it comes to you, you, just, you might run and hide from things. Here's something that I ask myself on a regular basis, and I just want to see where it lands with you. Just I'm throwing it out there. Here, here's what I, I do on a pretty regular basis. When I'm influencing and leading others, this is what I ask. Do you want someone like you following you today? Okay, break that down. You're really cranky. And you're really ornery. And it's good to ask the question, do I want someone like me following me today? And there are days I say, uh-uh. Nope. My attitude stinks. See, if you're going to influence others, that's a good question to ask. Because what you can begin to do is expect they'll be all great and wonderful with their attitude when in fact your attitude stinks too. Moms, dads, that works. Do I want someone like me today following me? Most of the time I think I can say yes because I have a good heart, a good attitude. I want to submit. I want to be obedient. I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender. Most of the time that's true. But there are times when I ask the question, I think, oh man, I wouldn't. No, I don't want someone like me following me today. No, 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 no. No, I don't. Today, I think I do want someone like me following me. I think there's a submission now. There's a, there's a surrender. Does that make sense? I think that's a great thing to do to hold up, your, hold up a mirror and ask these questions. Paul never promoted himself just with his hard work, meaning he never stopped working hard even when he was an apostle. So even when he attained, even when he got his, uh, his degrees or whatever, he didn't stop working hard. Paul knew his example was more powerful than his explanation. He knew his example was more powerful than his explanation. And I know this is full of questions, but I'm going to ask another one another way. Are you giving what you expect in return? Are you giving what you expect in return? This is all an attitude check, isn't it? This is how we influence others. And the last thing is this. Number four, Paul sought to build a family, not a following. Do you notice that? And I think most of the places he went, he was talking about putting the family of God, you know, together. Uh, in verse 7, instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. That's a hard thing. That's a patient thing. When you're working with people, the, the analogies he's using, the metaphor that he uses here is dealing with family. It's dealing with what it is to mother, uh, for instance, mother kids. That is hard, hard work. Difficult. 
And he's saying, we came in, and this is the way we approached you. We weren't afraid of that hard work. We were building a family. Paul used family terms because that's the kind of relationship he wanted to see in this church. And we want to see lives changed in the environment of family. That's what we're looking for. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to finish with this. Here's here's the thing that I think would motivate us. There is a reward. I say all of this, and there is a reward. There's a reward in verse 20, verses 19 and 20. And I love this when I preach it because it comes right down to the last two verses. And Paul says, you want to know why I'm doing this? I mean, you really want to know what gets me going, what gets me out of bed? He says this, and I love it. For what is our hope, what is our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Here it is. Is it not you? Indeed. Indeed. You are our glory and you're our joy. I think that's the party right there. I think that's the coup de gras right there. I think that what we're saying is when we go to heaven, when we spend time with Jesus, we get to look around and see who we influence with salt and light and they're there. That's the That's the glory. That's the crown. That's the reward. That's how Jesus works. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we just thank you today for your work in our lives and the things that you do for us and in us. And um, we just pray your blessing and your strength rest upon us in these days to come. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.